create lasting change, inspire others, and make a difference. You have joined the Influencers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Donaldson, and each week you will hear from distinguished co-hosts and guests as they share insights into impacting our culture from your neighborhood to the nations. Uh, when we were going to launch this, I said to our producer, Christiane Debussing, if we're going to have a podcast on influencers, we've got to have Tim Gagline. Uh, Tim is the vice president for external and government relations at Focus on the Family in Washington, D.C. Uh, without a doubt, I believe the greatest and most impactful ministry on the planet, uh, Jim Daly, close friend, what a leader. I know I shouldn't be name-dropping. Uh, Ronald Reagan once told me that. Uh, that's a little joke uh, there, Tim. Uh, <laughs> but Tim uh, has served in high-level government posts for two decades, including press secretary for former Senator Dan Coats of Indiana, special assistant to President George W. Bush, that's where we met, and then deputy director of the White House of Office of Public Liaison. Tim, what a delight it is to have you. Dave, it's a real honor to be with you and to be on this, uh, this wonderful interview, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to our time together. Well, we look forward to asking you about your new book, American Restoration, but first, uh, you were greatly used during the Bush administration to engage the faith community in partnering with federal, state, and local agencies so that faith-based organizations were competing uh, for resources, but most importantly, that they would have a seat at the table and participate in shaping policy. And the president, President Bush, called this the faith-based and community initiatives, and I refer to it as the revolution of compassion. And uh, we need to ask, what was it like uh, working in the White House during that historic time? Well, it was an extraordinary journey, uh, working for George W. Bush for nearly eight years. Uh, I had worked in the U.S. Senate for a decade before that for Dan Coats, who at that time was a U.S. Senator from Indiana and one of the most high-profile uh, evangelicals in the federal government. And uh, when Dan Coats decided to retire after 10 years as his deputy and then uh, press secretary and communications manager, I thought, you know, 10 years working for the federal government, that's a lot. And I thought at the ripe old age of 30-something, that will be, you know, my tour, you know, ending uh, role in the U.S. Senate. And he said the opposite. He said, you know, you worked this long at this end of Pennsylvania Avenue. You ought to work uh, in a presidential administration. I joined the uh, George W. Bush for President campaign. My wife and I and our children, two sons, we moved to Austin, Texas. Little could we have known that we are on a journey of a lifetime. And uh, after George W. Bush was declared uh, the winner, uh, we uh, came back to Washington where we were living, and I was offered a wonderful uh, job in the White House, really a presidential commission as a special assistant to George W. Bush and uh, the deputy director of the Office of Public Liaison at the White House. And as you so uh, eloquently said, uh, Dave, one of my central roles there was to make sure that the faith-based community 
uh, all of my fellow Christians uh, really had a seat at the table, and especially a seat at the table at the federal government, uh, because our government does such an extraordinary job of spending uh, taxpayer money, but it does not always do an equitable job of saying, how are those funds spent, and are there people of faith who are really making a major difference in many lives out beyond the beltway? And so one of my primary jobs was to make sure that people like you and others who were doing very important ministry at the local level had a direct pipeline uh, to the White House. And it was a, it was a remarkable and a wonderful time uh, working for George W. Bush. And as you said a moment ago, uh, the bookend of that was after the administration came to a close. I was very honored to come to focus on the family as one of our vice presidents and uh, to work here in Washington. Uh, we have a wonderful, wonderful office in Washington, and uh, I love, truly love what I do. Well, there are so many long-term fruits of the faith-based and community initiative, and Tim, this past weekend, we hosted in Kern County, Bakersfield, uh, Representative Kevin McCarthy, uh, the Assistant Secretary for the Administration for Children and Families, the Minority Leader uh, for California, uh, Shannon Grove, and the Mayor of Bakersfield, and uh, God use you as really the lead blocker to build those kind of partnerships between the faith community, you know, and government. And we talked about that uh, this past weekend. But what are some of the other long-term fruits of the faith-based and community initiative? Well, I think it is fair to say that when George W. Bush articulated what he called compassionate conservatism, what he meant is not the federal government, but at the most local level, uh, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our churches, uh, in our network of concircle-centrics, you know, of, of uh, friends and allies, how can we serve other people? It's born of our faith, and of course George W. Bush was and is a very serious Christian. Mm -hmm. But he wanted to emphasize, Dave, that it should never be a top-down approach. You know, uh, that was the way of the great society, the way of Lyndon Johnson, the way of the 1960s that Washington arrogated to itself this idea that it had all the answers, and that once the elites in Washington had decided what the answers were to all of our national problems, they would essentially impose it and incentivize it on the country. And what we got, of course, was the decline uh, and breakdown of the American family, of marriage, of parenting, of the concept of a neighborhood or a community uh, that people could know and recognize and nourish in. And so, so this became one of the great challenges uh, in the period between the great society of the 1960s and George W. Bush coming to office. And when he came to office, he, uh, he had read a very powerful book uh, by Marvin Olasky, uh, called The Tragedy of American Compassion. And the tragedy of American compassion, as you know, Dave, uh, was that government would dole out money, uh, but it would not seek to make a better citizen. It would not seek to instill those virtues and values uh, that help to make uh, a person self-reliant, uh, that help to uh, build the strength of family. 
uh, that looks to uh, those in prisons or jails, those who are hungry and homeless, those who are hopelessly drug and alcohol addicted, uh, with the ability to say, here's how we can help, and here is a way that we can empower ministry at a local organic level uh, to be of help. These were ideas in my own life and vocation that Dan Coates and the Senate cared very deeply about. Uh, they were the ideals uh, that really powered much of my vocation and love of working in the White House, and it's the thing that really motivates me at, at Focus on the Family. Uh, you know, here in Washington, where I have lived and worked for over 30 years, uh, is, of course, the you know, po most powerful city in the world. And there are extraordinary people here who are motivated, I think, very often by very, very good uh, values, by the right motives. The problem is that too often uh, there are folks who don't show, uh, who don't share that worldview, who don't share uh, that idea of how we can empower the American people, especially the least, the last, and the lost, uh, you know, to, to, to do better and to be better. That's the great challenge of our time. And if I may say, Dave, it is expressly the reason that Craig Oston and I wrote American Restoration, because we believe that if we are to restore and to regenerate and to renew this exceptional and really extraordinary country, that it will not begin in Silicon Valley. It will not begin in Wall Street. It will not begin in Hollywood. And it certainly will not begin inside the Beltway in Washington. If we're serious about an American restoration, uh, it will begin in families. It will begin uh, you know, rooted in our faith in Jesus Christ. And, of course, it will take a lot of personal sacrifice. And this was the motivation, a culmination of really thinking about this idea of national greatness, national restoration, and how we can help to bring it about as Christians in the 21st century. Well, the book American Restoration, it's historic. And I would encourage and challenge every person uh, to read it. And uh, in the book, you lay out uh, the key really, to Christians engaging within our culture. Uh, yesterday, Tim, I interviewed the Assistant Secretary for Health and Human Services, and she said that uh, they've already spent billions of dollars confronting homelessness in America, but last year it grew 16%. Wow. And so she went on to say that so few uh, Christian organizations, churches are engaged you know, in this brokenness. And yes. so she, like you did uh, so many times, uh, I know President Bush, uh, one of the times he said that the key to, to really deliverance from addictions, you know, is not more programs, more money. It's a change of heart and habits. Yes. We yes. know it's through the power and work of the Holy Spirit. And as a result of the faith-based and community initiative, great organizations like Teen Challenge uh, got involved. And in fact, I'm interviewing the president of Teen Challenge uh, after you. And he is great. looking right now uh, for ways to partner with these ag agencies to combat the opiate crisis uh, that is just ravaging our nation but let's talk a moment about what is the key, really, for Christians yes. engaging within our culture. 
Well, may I say, Dave, first, in light of your great comments, uh, in my work and in my vocation at Focus on the Family, I travel about a quarter to a third of the time. Uh, and uh, wherever I go, uh, and I do mean wherever I go, I can be in Maine or California, I can be in Florida or Michigan, uh, or any uh, place in between, and I hear a recurring uh, concern, and it's something like this. Uh, I've never been more concerned about my country than now. Uh, the second point is if they have children or grandchildren, they will say, I don't know what kind of a country and culture I'm leaving to them. And the most important thing they will say, uh, and I mean Christians and non-Christians alike, will very often say, and I don't know what to do. And, 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 and the answer to that point is why we wrote American Restoration. To, you know, American Restoration is written for all of those people, and there are millions and millions of us uh, who love our country, uh, who uh, love being a part of a family, a community, a church, a neighborhood, a real place. And we get up every day and we see signs that America seems to be crumbling from within. And we realize that many of the so-called brightest lights of our culture have essentially abandoned the Judeo-Christian values that are the very foundation of our culture and our nation. And in the eyes of so many, uh, it seems to be going uh, the wrong way, uh, as so many great civilizations of the past have gone. And our message in this book is that this is no time to run and hide. Uh, this 250-year-old experiment in America in ordered liberty uh, has not run its course, uh, but it is time to recognize that we have a coarsened culture uh, and that we have to reweave, we have to reconnect in the public square uh, our faith and all of the things uh, that are most important in public policy. In other words, the temptation is to kind of hunker down, you know, and uh, head for the hills. Uh, disengage and just kind of prepare uh, for what some believe, you know, are the are the deep dark days to come. Uh, I feel differently. I'm a Christian. I believe that discouragement and despair uh, is a sin uh, because it negates the hope of Jesus Christ. Mm, amen. Uh, as my as my friend Russell Moore says, in the Christian life, we're not running uh, toward any victory. We're running from one. Christ is risen, and so there is great hope. There is great hope indeed uh, for America, uh, and this book is a blueprint uh, of how we can restore the most fundamental institutions in our land. Well, let's talk about the steps we can take uh, for returning to our Judeo-Christian values, and I want to just say how much I appreciate you saying that, because I have heard more than any other time in my life people saying that we are now a post-Christian nation. It's as if they have already conceded that. And so what steps can America take to return to our Judeo-Christian values? Well, what I believe that they will gain is that after they read American Restoration, Dave, I think they will have a very clear-eyed but hopeful guide uh, to the restoration of our country. Because our goal here is to explain how Americans, with God's help, can renew 
uh, and restore and regenerate uh, 15 very critical components of our culture. Uh, and they will learn, if I may say, that, that government will not provide the solutions that we desperately need. Uh, the solutions do not lie in government, in Wall Street, in Hollywood, in Silicon Valley. Uh, they'll learn that the solutions for America lie in our churches, in our communities, and in our homes. Uh, they will learn that the light for our path is the light of faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, that as the light pierces the darkness, so America will experience what we pray for in this book, a reawakening, a regeneration, and renewal. You know, it's so tempting to be uh, discouraged and to be uh, despairing. Uh, you turn on the television, you pop open social media, uh, you drive through uh, you know, areas of America and you scratch your head and you say, I don't recognize that. And the immediate question is, maybe I should just disengage. Maybe I should step back. And what we make very clear in American Restoration is that this is exactly the opposite time to disengage. This is time to reengage as never before. Uh, if we are to be salt and light, the light in the darkness, now is the time to move forward as we seek to heal our nation uh, and, and to restore what uh, Abraham Lincoln rightfully uh, referred to in America when he called us the last best hope of man. Lincoln was right then, he's right now, and as a hopefulist in this book, we are offering a vision for the way forward. Rich Stearns, the former president of World Vision, uh, talked about how if there's disease in a community, the church should be the white blood cells that are moving towards, you know, that brokenness, that, that sickness with solutions. And I love how you have called the church and your current role with Focus on the Family to really be the epicenter of healing in its community. But in addition to that, should pastors be engaged in politics? Should they be involved in influencing government decision-making? You know, I love that question, uh, and it's one that I have spoken about and written about at length uh, over the last three decades. And ironically, as you ask this question, I'm actually in the midst now of reading the book of Jeremiah, uh, I had just written uh, had just uh, written a larger piece uh, about uh, the, the the book of Micah. You know whether it's the Old or the New Testaments. When you read uh, the Bible closely, you realize that this idea of the left hand kingdom and the right hand kingdom, the city of God and the city of man, uh, this side of eternity and and heaven, uh, that our Lord and Savior, that His disciples that many of the ancient prophets, they all stepped forward into the public square. You know, I, I remember, uh, Dave, and I know you do as well, those electric, uh, remarkable uh, verses and passages where, and you have to remember, this is St. Paul. He goes to the most powerful city in the world, Athens. You know, this was the 5th century equivalent of Washington, D.C. Uh, and where did he go? He goes into the marketplaces and meets all of the people there. 
he goes into the synagogues and he uh, debates and has dialogue with the most learned religious men of his era. And he ends up uh, in the Areopagus on Mars Hill, uh, the very place where the great philosopher Socrates uh, debated the question of, is there objective truth? Uh, We are, as men and women of faith, pastors and those in the pews, we are absolutely honor-bound as Christian citizens to be fully and completely engaged in the public square. And may I say, uh, our nation, our hurting nation, our country, our culture, our civilization, it needs men and women of faith more than ever uh, engaging in the public square to help as uh, you know, what the, the 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 those people that I referred to earlier in our conversation as the least, the last, and the lost. We're honor bound to do it. We are to follow the model of our Lord and Savior. I need to ask you a question about our president, and you know, this is something you don't want to address. Uh, I understand, uh, but as I'm meeting with leaders across this country, they're having. A difficult time separating the person from the policies of our president. They totally applaud how he could could very well be one of the most pro-life presidents, leaders ever. Uh, his stand for our religious liberties, uh, also making you know Israel a priority. But at the same time, you know they they're troubled by the tweets the stretching of the truth. And so how does a leader navigate that, where you want to vote your values, but at the same time as a pastor, as a leader, you don't want to affirm uh, some of these practices that, that, that are aberrant? Yeah, I, I really love this question, and I think it's very important, because as a Christian— I have spent my entire professional life with the political class. As I mentioned earlier, uh, I worked uh, for 10 years in the United States Senate. Uh, I worked for over 10 years uh, here at Focus on the Family, all of them in Washington, D.C. And as an interlude, as I mentioned earlier, when we were discussing my time at the White House through two presidential administrations, uh, so I, I, I live around, I work around, I socialize with the political class. And one of the things that you learn, Dave, very quickly um, is, that, uh, that, is that we are all sinners, that we all fall short of the glory of God. And you realize that in the American experience, we are not a parliamentary democracy. You know, uh, for every national election uh, for the head of state, Uh, by virtually every other democracy in the world, uh, we do not have five or six parties who are actively competing for the, you know, for the, for the person who could be the head of state. Uh, It's not France, it's not Germany, it's not Italy, it's not Canada. Uh, In the American experience, it's a binary choice, typically between uh, one party and the other. And, you know, you have to make choices as Christians, uh, we have to realize and become comfortable with the fact that faith and reason go together, and that if we are ever seeking uh, to find the perfect man or the perfect woman, we will always be disappointed. 
which is not to say, and this is very important, uh, not to say that virtue, character, integrity, civility, magnanimity matter. They matter very much. Uh, we look to the father of our country, George Washington. We look to Abraham Lincoln. We look to other uh, extraordinary uh, presidents across American history, and we say that virtue, which is moral excellence, moral excellence in the leaders, moral excellence in the citizens, it's very important. Our founding fathers and our founding mothers believed that you could not have freedom and you could not have liberty over time without moral excellence in the people. So it's very important as Christians that we continue to articulate the centrality of virtue and moral excellence. It's also important that we articulate that in, in Christian citizenship, that the first duty is voting. Not voting for a perfect candidate, but making choices by the reason that God has given to us as a gift. Where are the policies? Where are the personnel? Let's remember that every president who's elected shapes the Supreme Court, shapes the federal courts, makes choices about uh, human life and its policies and religious liberty and conscience rights. So uh, I think we can never let uh, the perfect be the enemy of good uh, and, and choosing the good in public policy. Well, that is well said. Uh, we had a representative here yesterday from the White House, and he quoted the Secretary of State, uh, Pompeo, as saying, uh, we did not hire a Sunday school teacher. Uh, we hired a businessman from New York, and that businessman, though, has surrounded himself with Sunday school teachers. And there's so many godly men and women in the White House and in the agencies, Capitol Hill, and uh, we're just so grateful that you're there. I know many Americans are asking this question with all the rancor, division, and as you mentioned earlier, the polarization in politics. Is there any chance of unity? Uh, will anything get done uh, for the American people? Well, I love this question as well, uh, and we address it in the book. In fact, uh, we felt, Craig Oston and I, my, my uh, co-writer, uh, we felt very strongly, uh, Dave, uh, that, that because uh, we had heard over and over and over again how important it was to restore civility in our country, that we would write an entire chapter on it. And in fact, that's what we did. Um, we wrote a, a chapter in American Restoration called Restoring Civility because we put such a centrality on the importance of our national leaders in business, in government, in law, uh, in, in academia. We put an absolute premium uh, on the importance of magnanimity, good grace, dialogue, conversation uh, in the public square. You know, it, it is true that our country was founded uh, via compromise. Uh, our founding fathers had very big differences. Should there be a permanent army or should we go by state-based militias? Should we have a federal bank and one currency or should we have 13 currencies? Uh, you know, it, it goes on and on. These were major differences. And the only way, and I, I'm being very serious about this, the only way that our founders were able to work their way through those important differences 
to write the Declaration of Independence, to write the Constitution, to write the Bill of Rights, was not to say that any one person could finally decide, but that if we were to have a constitutional republic, which, which they achieved, uh, that it would come about uh, by many people inputting and finding a good way forward. And I'm not overstating it. That was the barometer for the founding of America. So the largest historic question is, can we restore civility in our country? I believe that we can. And I believe that we have uh, remarkable men and women of faith serving in the House, serving in the Senate, serving in the federal courts, serving, as you say, at the White House and in the executive cabinet agencies, serving in the Pentagon, serving in the armed forces. And I believe that these people of goodwill want a way forward, and they want to have a, a dialogue even with those who most uh, disagree. Uh, I, I remember reading the great speeches of Martin Luther King Jr., and I'll never forget reading one of my all-time uh, favorite observations from Dr. King. He said, and I'm quoting Dr. King, he said, I think I have discovered the highest good. It is love. This principle stands at the center of the cosmos. And for those of us uh, who are Christians, we know that love has a name. He's Jesus Christ. And so I think it's very important uh, that that kind of uh, civility, goodwill, and good grace help to inform our public square. Outstanding. Uh, Tim, is, do you have any closing comments? And also, uh, please share with us how we can get a copy of the American Restoration book. You bet. Well, the first to the latter, uh, I, I invite everybody to get a copy of American Restoration and to give it as gifts. And it's easily gotten on Amazon.com. Uh, the book, again, is American Restoration, How Faith, Family, and Personal Sacrifice Can Heal Our Nation with my co-author, Craig Osten. And uh, I think people, uh, Dave, will really love uh, when they get a copy. I think they will love, I hope not just the book, but they will also, I think, uh, love uh, the, the cover. We've, we've chosen a, a beautiful cover, which really goes to the heart of the possibility of uh, restoration in our great nation. Uh, and may I say, in, in closing, I would keep it very simple. Uh, the largest uh, question that we are facing in 21st century America is, will we lose our country, uh, or will we have a, uh, the possibility of restoring our great land? And I believe with all of the fiber of my being, that restoration is possible, but it will not just come into being. We have to reconnect religion and faith in the public square. Too often, religion and faith, the things that created America, have been pushed aside. We have to find a way to reconnect the Judeo-Christian tradition inside of all of our great institutions. And I believe that there are millions of people uh, who want that to be done. And so uh, the way to do that, the way forward, the way to regenerate a nation is a large question because we're a large and complex continental nation of 330 million souls. But I think it is possible, and it has to begin with each one of us investing in at least one other life. And in American Restoration, we show how that's possible. Tim Gagline, one of the most articulate influencers in the world. Tim, thanks so much for joining us. Dave, it's been a joy. Every blessing to you. Be of good cheer. You too, my dear friend. And thank you for joining us from the Gold Pacific Studios in Newport Beach. 
I hope you enjoy listening to Influencers on the Charisma Podcast Network. Join us next week for another thought-provoking episode. And remember to use your influence to move people closer to Jesus. Jesus.